Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Rachel Druckenmiller. She's the founder of a company called Unmuted, and she helps build resilience and leadership for companies that actually care about their employees. There's a lot going on right now, and I cannot think of a better person to listen to when it comes to actually building that resilience and building that perseverance in your team. She hosts incredible virtual trainings that are energizing, they're engaging. She's a wonderful speaker and a wonderful person, and she has some incredible advice for you today. Stay tuned, here comes your good advice. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. We have some great advice with you today. I got a special guest, Rachel Druckenmiller. She's joining us today. She's the founder of the company called Unmuted. Now, she has a couple of different ways she likes to describe this company. You may look her up as someone who does keynote speaking, workshops, and the like on resilience. Uh, she talks about being a mental health training trainer for companies that care. But we were just joking about what she actually does, and she likes to call herself someone who does the soothing gut punch for people who really need that wake-up call. She was voted number one in the country for being a health promotion professional. Rachel, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much, Blake. I'm excited for our, our chat. Well, we're, we, it's been kind of an interesting conversation already. And for the listeners, we, we chatted for a few minutes, just making small talk before we hit record. And Rachel, you were telling me that you've had, um, you know, you speak on resilience, you speak on these things that I'm sure have to do with just perseverance and challenges and growth. But you also mentioned that literally just a few weeks ago, you went through a challenge of your own. Would you mind sharing with the audience what happened? Yeah. So um, I was, you know, literally I was hit by a truck when I was out running um, that I was out running with my husband and very unexpected, didn't literally didn't didn't see it coming and fortunately sustained, you know, not the extent of injuries I think I could have. I have a fracture on my my um, spine, a, a spinal fracture on my my final vertebrae in my rib cage. So I get to wear a back brace for several weeks, and it's going to be you know I don't know how long the road is to to healing, but I but I guess when you when you put out in the world that your area of expertise is resilience, uh, I think you can probably expect that you're going to have to have some things happen that are going to literally and figuratively knock you down, and then that you're going to have to kind of bounce back and 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 grow stronger through it. So. I didn't even know where to go from here because when we first were talking, you said it so casually. You were like, yeah, I got hit by a truck on May May 3rd or May 4th, yeah. sometime the first week of May. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this month, like not yeah. like 10 years ago, like you literally just got hit by a truck. Yeah. 
And I, I mean, I'm just trying to, I, I can't even process it. You're the one who went through it, but I'm like, oh my gosh, what? Like, what the heck? But you seem like someone, I love how, uh, not that you're being casual. I mean, you, you did sustain a major injury, but very positive and very, um, yeah, you know, this happened and very, I guess, forward thinking is the word to use is, I guess that's just you. That's just who you are. You know, I think it's a couple things. So one leading up to, you know, everything that's been going on with coronavirus, I was, I was doing, I totally pivoted my business because I, I started my business in September speaking and training and everything was in person and then coronavirus hit and then everything got canceled. And I was right. like, shoot, like, what am I going to do for my business? And so I was like, well, I'm going to pivot, you know, and uh, I just took everything online and I was like, well, what do people need right now? They need support for well-being and resilience. So let me do that. So I'd really spent before the accident, I spent two months speaking like every day, either speaking about or researching how to be more resilient, mm -hmm. um, specifically in a time of crisis, specifically um, in the midst of like a grieving period. And so for me, I, I honestly feel like that, that sort of training that I was talking to myself as much as I was talking to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was in a better place from a mindset perspective when it happened um, created, I mean, I, it was, it was very hard. That was like one of the hardest days of my life when that happened. Um, especially being in a hospital where you couldn't, no one can come with you. So my poor, my husband had to like, just not be with me the entire day, yeah. not know what was happening. But, um, you know, as I was kind of going through that experience, I, I naturally think about what's like the gift or the lesson in this, like generally speaking, I've come to the point of doing that um, because I've had so many, I've had a lot of different um, setbacks with my health since the time I was like really little, like burned out and got mono three years ago from just being like a overachiever who just wouldn't ever stop pushing myself. Mm -hmm. And so my body like was like, well, we're going to shut down for a little while because sure. you're not, you're not really paying attention. And, and so I learned a lot from that experience. And so I've just come to the point now where whenever I go through something really difficult, um, that I have, I have a choice and uh, like all of us have a choice to stay stuck in it. Right. And to just wallow. And to be honest, I, I, I've had periods of time where I've done that. And it's part of the grieving process and trying to pretend like you're not sad or you're not angry is probably not, it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I let myself kind of go through whatever I have to go through. So if it's a day where I'm just going like, to cry, then I let myself cry. But then I say, okay, I, I'm not going to stay there. So I think it's that choice of when we have something difficult that happens, we can either choose to like stay stuck in it or we can say, all right, what can I learn from this? Um, even in the hospital, I was sitting in the hospital room, you know, by myself and was like, all right, there's going to be a story about bouncing back. And there's going to be a story about rising up when you get knocked down and like all these things that are so relatable for people. So that's where my mind goes. My, my mind goes to like, how can I use this? Because this cannot be for no reason. Like this cannot have happened just to like make yeah, me not. frustrated for five months. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, is it, is it maybe encouraging isn't the right word, but you know, you're, you're speaking on resilience, you're training people, you're, you're helping people understand how to respond in the face of really hard circumstances. Has it, has it been a bit encouraging, I guess, to eat a little bit of what you serve and see, I guess, kind of like put it, you know, it's like you're like for me, like I do, I do business coaching and consulting. And so like when I get to apply that to my own business, it's like, it's like, oh, wow, this actually is either, this actually is a really good concept or, this is totally detached from reality. And so I'm, I'm assuming for you, it's been kind of refreshing to be like, oh my gosh, I have a new, the stuff that I was already pretty passionate about and really experienced in, I have a new sort of um, just level of authenticity with it, I would guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I would say so. And I'd say that for me, the thing that the lesson I learned in the last season of being knocked down um, was how important it is to open up to people and to admit when I'm struggling. So I've always had trouble with that my whole life. I've always wanted people to see me as like the golden child. I've got it all together. I know all the answers. I'm the smart, accomplished one. Um, I don't need help. I can do it myself. You know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so that was sort of my mentality. And so to be in a position where you have to be vulnerable and just let people help you and Mm. your identity, when your identity is so tied to what you do and it's like, I am worthy because I'm accomplished or I'm worthy because I achieve stuff when that's what my identity is wrapped up in. And then I can't do that in quite the same way that puts me in a position of being like, all right, well, you just need to be, this is a season of receiving fighting people on that. So like the day after the accident, um, a woman I've literally, I had never met before. I still never met her in person. We live near each other and we were, uh, um, we're going to be on a panel the following week about employee engagement. And she saw what happened and reached out through an email and was like, Oh my goodness, you know, can I set up a meal train for you and your husband? I've done this for a couple of friends. I've, le- I've never even had a conversation with this person before. Okay. And so she reached out and my initial reaction was like, well, I mean, we have like the means, like my husband can just like, it'll probably be hard, but like he can make meals and he already cooks anyway. And I started to rationalize why I didn't need help the day after I got, the day after I fractured my back. And I was like, you are being absolutely absurd. Somebody, somebody wants to help you. And you say, yes, Rachel. And so I, I reached out to her like that day and I was like, yeah, let's have a conversation. And that evening she spent 40 minutes on the phone with me, set up the whole thing and then started sending it out to our network, signed up to bring the meal on the first day, like added extra stuff to our order, like added a dessert to our order just to let, you know, <laughs> and, and then people just started sending cards and sending flowers and, and signing up to, to bring us meals and Grubhub gift cards. And to me, it's just like this, to, to feel so supported in a season where you feel kind of like weak. Mm. Like when you feel like you have a deficiency, like, there's a lot of stuff I can't do right now. Like I can't even like dress myself. Like my husband has to like literally do like so many things for me. Um, Fortunately, standing is the most comfortable position, relatively speaking. So I can do stuff like this, you know, Um, but going through this has, has reinforced to me how important it is to have, to be socially connected and to rely on your network and to lean on people and to not be apologetic about it. Um, and to just let people like love you and to let people, mm-hmm. you know, you said you just had a, a baby recently. Right. And yeah, you've got to rely, you've got to like cut yourself some slack and let people help you. Right. If you're right. going to do yeah. that. Yeah. No, we like to be uh, just totally on an Island as we desperately deal with a pandemic and a newborn. So yeah. <laughs> it, no, it's been, it's been interesting. I mean, we've had, we've had an amazing network of people who are like, literally just, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Like, we need diapers, like stat, we need diapers. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny because I finally just got a big order of diapers and now she's too big for those diapers. Um, so it's just the way it goes, I guess. But, you know, listening to you talk about this network, um, <clears throat> sorry, I muted myself to cough and then I didn't unmute myself. Listening to, listening to you talk about this network, it, I'm a little interested in this woman who reached out to you because social media has created the means for us to be more connected than ever with even people we don't even really know. Like I have people on Instagram who 
I have a few people who I like, I'm commenting and like one of them just, a guy just got engaged. I've never met this guy before in my life. I didn't even know how I ended up following this guy or how he ended up following me, but he just got engaged. And I was like, man, that's awesome. It's such a beautiful journey. Congratulations. And there's these, these connections we make with people. And I, it's, it's a bit interesting because it feels like in some ways we're missing it because if, for example, you have this woman who reaches out to you and I don't know about you, but a lot of times, even especially in business, when someone reaches out and offers help, it's not genuine. It's not, it's not legitimate. It's, I'm trying to maybe get you to, to, to buy something from me. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get you on my newsletter. I'm trying to, but what you're talking about is this very authentic, genuine sort of sweetness of the human condition that you don't always hear about. And so I'm just, I'm just a bit fascinated as to who this person is, but especially this experience that you've gone through. Um, there's no question in there. I just, I'm just sort of musing on, on really what you're talking about. You know, I think a lot of it, first of all, her name is Lynn Argenbright. So she's wonderful. Amazing. I'll just give her a shout out for that. But like, I think part of it is, is I'm intentional with the messages that I put out. So I put like daily videos on LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm like singing to people and whatever. And I know a lot of people that I've never met before follow that stuff and they'll comment on it or they'll say how much I, I look forward to these videos every day. And and you inspire me and thank you for being honest and real. Like even the week after the accident, I was still posting videos. Um, I wasn't like chipper and smiling and singing to people because I didn't feel like it. I felt sure. I was in a lot of pain and, and, you know, emotionally and it was hard, but I was honest with people. And so I think a lot of it is that people see people when your goal and mine is, is to it's just like be a contribution in the world and to have, and to have a positive impact and to be, For me, part of being unmuted means being honest about where I am and not trying to sugarcoat it and not trying to pretend like I'm something other than what I actually am. And so I think because people see that and trust that there's like a trust that builds Mm -hmm. as a result of showing up that way. And so I think, you know, and, and my heart, again, when I'm putting like content out is to just like, this is what I'm feeling right now. And I know that I'm not alone in this. And so I want other people to feel invited in and like, they're not alone either. And so I, I, I don't know if like it's, it's connected to that. I think some people, I mean, she's, she's offered other things too. She's like, pick out which one of these intent. There's a company called my intent, pick out which one of these bracelets you want. Let me know what words you want. I'll send it to you. I'm like, who is this purple unicorn? Like, <laughs> and you know, initially I was like, that's too much, you know, but, but a lot of it is just like, I, I feel like, what do they say? Your, your vibe attracts your tribe. And I don't know if it's different yeah. for like, you know, men and women, you know, and I'm, I'm not sure if that's any, any different, but, but there are just such, you know, just such incredible people in the world. And I think it's so, one of the things I do is I celebrate those people. So I'm really intentional um, with even sharing pictures when we could actually be with other human beings in person, sharing pictures of inspiring people that I meet and sharing their stories. And, um, and so I don't know, I guess it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, coming, <laughs> You, what, but what you're talking about, it, it's more, it's, it's too cheap to just call it optimism. Like when we talk about optimism, I feel like that, and this is just totally me projecting here, but I feel like it's, it's, it's too simple of word. It's like, oh, you're an optimistic person. And, and what I envision for that is like somebody maybe is a little bit bubbly or, you know, they're, they have a bit of a positive spin on things, but, but you're going even a level, level beyond that. And you're even talking about, okay, what's my contribution? I mean, I like right now today, I mean, there is so much happening in the world right now, you know, protests in Minneapolis, we have COVID, don't even mention the political side of things, what's going to happen there. I mean, there's so much to be negative about. 
And frankly, a lot of people, that's their MO is they, they are the keyboard warrior who gets on social media and they rant about whatever the latest thing is. Yep. You, you're talking about, it's almost like a level of personal accountability of, you know, what do I owe to other people out there? And like, how, how should I be using my giftings and how do I not waste it? And it's, it's, it's just very motivating to listen to. I'm, I'm curious, is that, has that always been who you are? I mean, have you had to develop that over time? I mean, where, where has that come from? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, uh, you know, I was raised by two incredible parents. Um, I know one of one of them is, uh, has also been a guest on here, uh, Michael Bryant. And so I think part of it comes from I just, I had really fantastic parents who went through their own stuff, by the way. I mean, I was five years old. They went through a rough patch in their marriage, separated briefly. That was it. It's a really hard time to go through something like that when you're five and you're deciding whether or not the world's safe and you're deciding whether you can trust people and to have something like that so disruptive happen, like has an impact on you, right? I didn't know it at the time, but one of the things it did was, is it caused me to just like try to be the good kid, you know, golden child, right? Have it together all the time. And, and, um, when everything else around me was falling apart, I was like, but I will always have it together. I will have it together. I'll have it together. And I was a very kind of shy and quiet kid. And so I think, I think part of it was just like, I almost like suppressed myself for so much of my life. Um, I, I always, I was always curious about people. I, I was always um, intrigued by people. You know, I started watching Oprah like in middle school. You know, <laughs> was my dad was listening to Tony Robbins when I was like, you know, ten or eleven years old. So part of it is that I is that I've had kind of mm-hmm. these um, these voices, mm-hmm. you know, very close to me in terms of family um, or or through people that I've never met that I hope to meet one day. Uh, and so part of it is just like hearing that kind of stuff, right? I was always curious about that. I studied psychology in school. And so I, I just always wanted to understand people. And I think so much of it was because I wanted to understand myself. Um, and I experienced unkindness. I mean, I growing up didn't really feel like I fit in with my peers. And I have journals from elementary school. So I, I know what I thought because I had it written down <laughs> in a little tiny little black uh, journal with uh, pink hearts on it that goes back to like, I don't know, 1994 or something. And I know what it feels like to when people are unkind to you. Hmm. And, you know, and I'm okay feeling whatever I feel as I'm saying that, but like, I, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be left out. I know what it feels like to feel like you don't belong. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's deeply painful. Mm-hmm. It's deeply painful. So, so part of what motivates me is that I know what that feels like and I don't want other people to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me how that, how did that lead to what you're doing now, which, and I love the word you used, a soothing gut punch, <laughs> um, you know, waking people up. You're talking about resilience, mental mm-hmm. health training, but it's, it's not just for anyone. And you, you have a special um, niche here with employees in particular. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how you've, you've taken that experience and built that into the business you're doing now. Well, you know, for me, it's a, a lot of what I get asked to do is to talk about, you know, how can we help leaders to be more intentional, for instance? Because, again, people do things. I, I think a lot of times their intention is, they're not ill-intentioned, but they're not aware of the consequence of like the aftermath of what they leave when they mistreat people. <laughs> and so much of like my, my journey has been in the wellness industry. So I spent, you know, 13 years in the wellness industry and I saw people just like kind of blaming and finger pointing at people why like they weren't healthy and you need to stop eating this and put this down and start exercising, whatever. And I realized that so much of it was just that like people weren't treating each other well. 
And they weren't ever necessarily taught how to either, right? To have compassion, to have empathy, to listen to people, to give people some grace and the benefit of the doubt, to recognize that somebody who's being a jerk probably didn't wake up in the morning and said, I'm going to be a jerk today. They probably have some stuff that happened that's affected how they show up. They don't feel safe to let their guard down and be anything other than tough. So I had that kind of perspective that I think is shaped by, by my own experience coming into this that just really gives me, the, give, gives me the opportunity to be in situations with leaders or at a conference or in a virtual training, because that's basically what everyone's doing now, um, to really help people feel seen. Hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of it is rooted in me sharing my own story. So part of it is when we share the challenges and struggles we've had and we're honest about them, right? And it's not a shtick and it's not a script. It's just, this has been the experience that I've had and it's a universal or at least a relatable human experience. Once you do that, like once I say I was an overachiever and my entire identity was defined by what I accomplished and when I couldn't accomplish anything, I didn't know who I was Mm -hmm. or didn't know how I fit or didn't know how I was valuable to people. Like, people can see themselves in that. And I think a lot of time there's this concern as a leader to like put up all these, put on all these masks and put up all these walls because I will only let you see the part like you were alluding to before. I will only let you see the part of me that is impressive. Uh And that's a lonely place to be because if you can't, it's, I spent too much time exhausting myself trying to be what I was expected to be doing what I was expected to do, like even in my industry, um, working in a benefits consulting space, there's certain things that wellness people do. And I didn't agree with a lot of what my industry did. And so I would resist that and I'd get pushback, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? After I went through a several health challenges of like getting mono three years ago, of a couple years before that, I had um, some challenges with my weight of being clinically malnourished, um, having a bunch of digestive issues that just got me in a rough spot. And for me, the, the catalyst was going through this experience where I was the poster child for my company because I had lost 20 pounds doing our weight loss challenge that I brought to the company. So I was the wellness person, you know, wellness director. I brought this challenge and then I became the success story. Hmm. Um, and I was telling everybody it was great. And then in the midst of that, like within a couple of years, my body started not behaving the way that a 27, 28 year old woman's body is supposed to like act. And I just was soaking in the compliments from people of like, Oh my gosh, you look amazing. You lost weight. Like you look so good. You look fantastic. Yeah. Meanwhile, like certain systems in my body weren't working right. Right. But, but you can't talk about that because you're just supposed to absorb the compliment that you look yeah. skinny. Right. Yeah. And so I remember it was, I was terrified to do this, but I had a a blog that I I wrote for six years called Rachel's Nourishing Kitchen. And I remember um, going to finally see a a doctor in 2014 about what wasn't working. And um, she said, you might need to gain some weight. And I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the wellness person. Like I help people lose weight. Like, do you understand like my whole image? I can't noticeably gain weight. And she's like, well, like, you know, you want your reproductive system to work right. You might have to do that. Mm. And, and so I did, and I was terrified because I noticeably gained weight. Like when you're five, five and you lose or gain 20 pounds, it's obvious. (laughs) Sure. You're not going to hide that. Um, So much so that somebody who had met me three years earlier did not recognize me when they saw me after I had gained weight back. And I was 
you, you just notice that people stop saying that you look good. That's how you notice that you've gained the weight back, you know? And I remember I wrote a blog post and I called it the courage to be vulnerable, my untold story. And I outlined in there that like, I was terrified all these clothes I got rid of. So I was like, I'm never going to wear those clothes again. Cause I'm so skinny. And, and I, and I had to go shopping again and I had to go up several sizes and it was just this, it just messed with me, especially as a woman, like we tie so much to our, to our body and how it looks, especially in the industry and the role that I was in. Um, and it was really hard. And so I started to share with people, you know, this is where I am. This is what happened. But it, it, it took me a year to share it. So I got to the point where I had gained the weight back. My body started to like, you know, kind of all systems go started to work properly again. And it was, it was after I was on the other side of that, that I shared the story. And I realized that that's what we often do. We often wait until we have the after story. We don't mm. tell the middle story. Yeah. Right. We don't tell it when we're going through it. And so I got through that experience and I share what happened and I was honest. My before picture was like the super skinny malnourished picture. My after picture was after I gained like 15 pounds. Um, it was my first keynote at a national conference and the response to, 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 that, to that speech, the response to the article to me was just beyond what I would have expected because people just started opening up and, and, and sharing their own journeys and their own stories with me and how much they appreciated me being honest. And I realized in that moment, I was like, oh, this is like what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to be honest and not sugarcoat the difficult things that we experience. And when we do that, right, when we give other people permission to, when we speak about these things ourselves, we give other people permission to talk about them too. And, and for me, I believe that was kind of the beginning of my unmuting in that way. And then I just started to get honest with people. Um, and then the challenge with that was I got that award that the number one health promotion professional in the country. And then I put even more pressure on myself. because I was like, great. Hey, they said you're the best. Yeah. So like, you have to be the best at everything. You have to keep being the best at everything. And then that was like pressure, pressure, pressure. And then two years later, I burned out and got Epstein-Barr virus. Um, lost my voice. I had to sleep 11 hours a night and did not feel rested. Um, it was like six months until I started to feel like myself again. Wow. And in the middle of it. So before I was like better, I was like, I'm going to start talking about burnout because this is it. I know I'm not the only one that has this experience of never feeling like I'm enough and pushing myself beyond what's humanly possible. And so I started doing that. And then the response was people were like, thank you for saying that. And so I was like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to talk mm. about the things that people don't really want to talk about because they're uncomfortable, but that they're actually struggling with. So if we don't, if we don't bring light on them, they stay hidden in secret and heavy. Mm -hmm. And then when we talk about them, we bring light to them and then they're not so shameful anymore and they're not so embarrassing or they're not, they don't feel like such a source of guilt or, um, something that leaves us open to condemnation of some sort. And, and so that was really, what, what shifted things for me is those series of experiences. Um, you, you used a word earlier that um, it, you don't hear a lot about, or at least I don't hear a lot about it in its identity. Yeah. And it's, it's what your identity is. And I think your story is a really great illustration of really honestly what a lot of people, it's sort of the rat race that we're all sort of in, in terms of trying to either protect our identity or create it into something that we envision it you know, it being something super successful. And it's, it's, I love that you're working with leaders because especially in leadership, I mean, 
goodness, the amount of misconceptions on what a leader really is. And you have people who are so wrapped up in their identity of authority and having it all together. But especially in the business world, it feels like, and I love what you said, we often don't tell the story until it's until we're, after, we're done with it, right? And it's like, oh, this is what I went through and here's how amazing I am now. Mm-hmm. It's amazing the number of like entrepreneurs and business owners who I talk to who are making zero money whatsoever, but they beat around the bush about it. I mean, they won't really be honest about it until finally, you know, w- once they finally hit a stride of successfulness, it's like, oh yeah, and by the way, you know, it's been miserable for six months. Why is it that it seems like people get so caught up in chasing that identity identity they envision for themselves? And then also, why does it feel like people struggle so much with being honest? And I don't even, and, and not even make this question any longer, but I don't even think it's, it's honesty with other people. It seems like a lot of times we really have a tough time. I mean, even, even listening to you talk about your story, it's, it, there kept being these moments of sort of self-realization of like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing. It feels like a lot of people can't ever really be honest with themselves either and realize, oh my gosh, this is the identity that I'm sort of desperately grasping onto and sort of forcing. Yeah, I think part of it is is really like there's this idea of supposed to, like that people are connected to. So like, all right, if I do this, like I'm supposed to be successful, right? And so I have to let people know just how successful I am. Otherwise, like I'm going to be kicked out of the tribe. So, so much of it is connected to like, we have this innate need to connect and to belong. And if anything that threatens that sense of connection and belonging literally feels like a threat to our life in terms of like to our brain, that's how our brain experiences it. And so if we feel like we're, we're, we will, you know, we've done something um, or we're in a position that basically kicks us out of a tribe, we do everything we can to like get ourselves back into that place of into people's good graces, into a sense of being accepted. So I think it can come from a number of places. It can come from um, rejection, you know, growing up. I mean, like one of the things I experienced, right, where I just, I, I was kind of struggling to prove myself. I was like, well, you won't accept me socially? Fine, I'll just win at everything. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's like what I did. I was like, fine, I won't be accepted by you. I'll be accepted by the teachers. Like, even though I really wanted to be accepted by them. Right. So part of it is like being willing to acknowledge what you really want instead of acting so tough, right? Like, oh, I don't really need that. I don't really care what people think. I don't really care what people like me. Like, I'm sorry, BS. No, you do care. Mm-hmm. If you didn't care, you're like, you'd be like a sociopath. But, um, <laughs> you know, so I think that's part of it. But I think the other part of it is, is people, and, and I'll share this just honestly, I'm connected to something deeper than myself. So like my faith is really important to me. I don't talk about it a lot because I don't, want to come off as like proselytizing ever. But for me, like I have a sense of, I believe I'm here for a purpose. Mm -hmm. I believe I'm here for a reason. I believe I'm meant to have a specific impact. Um, I believe that I'm meant to do, I'm here to do good things. I'm here to make the world a better place. And so for me, it's very, it's it's connected to a very deeply embedded sense of, of, of meaning and purpose of, of why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a a sign that my husband gave me in my uh, living room that says, um, before you were born, I set you apart. You know, I have a, in here, I have a, why, a sign, why blend in when you were born to stand out? Like I've, I've always had this sense that I'm, that deep inside me that I'm meant to do something um, impactful here. And so because I believe that I pursue things that will get me closer to that. Right. And so I think part of it is I've had one, like I said, a really fantastic upbringing. I had some really wonderful teachers that poured into me and saw me. And when I didn't feel like I fit in with my peers, they accepted me. Um, And then really starting about 
two years ago, three years ago, I, I let people speak difficult truths to me. So friends who I, who I'd started to let in, you know, people that I had started to open up to and share the things that I wasn't always perfect and together all the time, those people started to speak some difficult truths to me. So I had a friend um, when I was going through the burnout experience and I'd just been diagnosed with Epstein-Barr. She texted me and said, um, the the text message started with the words, warning, unsolicited observation coming. (laughs) So, and then like a full screen and a half scroll, right? Yeah, sure. So I was like, "Mm, can I delete this? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I kept reading and she was, you know, she was saying like, you know, um, Rachel, you know, it seems like you post so much about not worrying, you know, on social media about not worrying so much about, you know, accomplishment um, and about slowing down but like, you don't really seem to slow down. And, you know, if I may say so, you don't really seem content or fulfilled. Um, I I wish that you could just believe all the words that you share with the rest of us because like, you're amazing and we love you. And to, to have that exposed, to have it exposed on the surface, I'm winning all these awards and I'm so successful in my career. I'm so successful, right? but I'm not content. Mm. That was like a, Oh man, that's a, that's a blow. Right. But, but she said it with, she had earned the right to say that to me because we'd been friends for several years and she's just one of those, my friend Kara, she's just one of those really courageous people who says what needs to be said and is, is, is like even more honest than I am, I think at times. Um, and so I, little by little, those types of things started to happen where I was, I was open enough because before I was just like, kind of a little tough. And I think people would have assumed I'd get defensive if they questioned me or called me out because I probably would have gotten defensive because my pride and my ego were sort of loud. Um, People just started speaking truth to me, like difficult truths, saying difficult things. Um, Like my friend Tori, who I went to college with, I um, have always had hangups about my birthday and about people not planning things to celebrate my birthday for me and feeling like people don't care. They don't like me, you know, pity party, whatever. And I was with her, my sister, and like, I think one other friend um, on my birthday for a lunch. And I had invited all these other people and like, nobody could come. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And, and she was like, I said, I made some comment about not having like a lot of friends. And she's like, I'm going to stop you right there. She's like, how long have we been friends? And at the time it was like 13 years. And she was like, and she, then she rattled off like maybe five other people. She was like, you need to stop saying that you don't have friends. Hmm. So part of it is like, we have to put our, most people are not willing to put themselves in positions where they have people that know them well enough to call them out. And she's a friend that I had been sharing lots of deeply personal, vulnerable things with for over a decade. Um, I just didn't share them like kind of more collectively. I could have one-on-one conversations with certain people I'd be very honest with, but it wasn't until a couple years ago that I started sharing that more publicly. Um, and so I, I think it, I really think a lot of it's, it's, it's been that is we, we allow when we're open like that about what we're actually going through, we give people the ability to reflect back to us what they see, the good things they see. And so they can affirm us and the things that, that they know are not the best version of us, that if they have the courage, they can call out and say, I don't love, I don't love you or care about you any less as a person because you have this thing that you do. Yeah. I just know that it's not the best of who you are. And so I want to let you know that because I don't think you have to live this way. Right. So, I mean, that's a long answer to a long question, but I I mean, I I think a lot of it's that I think is, is being, being willing to be in community. A lot of these people are people I go to church with. It's a very, like a kind of a small community, but it's just a community of people that show up collectively 
the expectation is that as a community, you show up with honesty. Well, and you sound like someone, because here's, here's what I've noticed about people, especially when we talk about surrounding yourself with truth tellers. A lot of people, they surround themselves with the echo chamber or like the people who say exactly what they want to hear, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's almost like even when I've worked with like leaders, for example, and we talk about things like hard truths like, okay, maybe you're an egomaniac or maybe you are, um, it's more about your title than it really is like serving your people. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that a very small portion can take that truth and mm-hmm. roll with it. What I've noticed about a lot of people though, is they don't actually want the truth, but they do want the perks of whatever status or award or achievement or what have you as, as you know, short-lived as those things may be. What I love about you is you seem like someone who you are so desperate for the actual contribution that you want to make and the change that you want to make that the expression I've heard is you have to be willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. And I, I, at a young age, I never really knew what that meant. What I've come to learn since then is it's sort of, you know, dying to yourself and your own ego and your own, and not that you can't have things that you want or things like that, or that you're, and not even that, you know, not that we're like martyrs for our own business, but you're willing to set your ego aside and let someone tell you something hurtful because you know that it's for your benefit. Um, I think that's really admirable in you. It's something that I don't know. I don't know how someone turns that on, if that makes sense. It sounds like it's been with you since a young age. The people that I've known who've demonstrated that, it's been kind of who they are as a person. What I wonder is how does the person who maybe they're in their 30s, maybe their 40s, and it's always been about them, and then they catch this glimpse Mm -hmm. of something different, of what does it mean to not put your ego forward or be so wrapped up in identity? Any ideas on how that person sort of flips the switch? Well, I think one thing is you have to have a space and you have to have some sort of community, whether it's your family, our colleagues, uh, faith-based community, uh, your kickball team, you know, whatever <laughs> it is, like college buddies, your neighbors, I don't know. But I think it's contingent upon having a community that is psychologically safe, like a community where you feel safe to be yourself in. And this is something that for me has developed gradually over time. So for instance, with our community, we get together, we see each other Sundays, well, not now, but normally on Sundays, and then Wednesday nights, we host these small groups. And the questions and the conversations we talk about, and people cry, people talk about, you know, the addiction that they're going through, or the the divorce, or they, the people talk about real life stuff, you know. And when you're in a community like that, for um, a dozen years, either you resist that, and you eventually just like tap out, or you choose to like let it change you. So I think part of it is just like being open to letting community change us and to being curious. I think so much of it is about curiosity. So I'm a very curious person. There's an assessment that I would encourage people to take. It's free. Um, if they haven't already, I'm like an assessment junkie. It's <laughs> called um, the VIA Strengths Assessment. So it's um, uh, VIA Institute on Character, if you just search VIA. Um, and it gives you a list of your uh, values kind of in order. So VIA stands for values in action. And so some of my top values are spirituality, love of learning, perspective, curiosity, and creativity. So my, my natural slant in life is I'm a naturally inquisitive person. I, I love to learn. Um, and there's a, there's a part of me that's very deeply connected to something beyond myself. And so that collective, you know, sort of positions me to be this way. But, I'm, but every year, I'm like eager to learn. 
you know, I had a friend describe it. She said, Rachel, um, this was like, just really meant so much to me. Another friend, Kara said, you are a contender for breakthrough in every area of your life. And I, and I feel that way. I feel that way in my marriage, my husband and I have worked really hard. We were very different communication style wise. When we first got together, that could be a whole nother episode. If you want to talk about how to, how to have healthier, uh, intimate relationships, um, communicate more effectively. But, you know, I've been through ups and downs with my health and I've just been on this quest to figure out like, what can I do to optimize my life? That's one of the things that drives me. And so I figure, you know, what can I do to help other people optimize their lives, optimize their relationships, optimize their health, optimize their career? Um, Because I feel so alive right now. You know, I feel alive working for myself. I feel so free. You know, I do what I want, when I want, the way I want to. And it's taken me a lot of time to get here. I've had people that knew me like a decade ago and they're like, like you're a different, <laughs> you're different. You know, I've yeah. changed. So this has been a journey. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of tears. It's been a lot of um, falling on my face. It's been a lot of humbling moments. It's been a lot of um, my, my pride getting in the way and me realizing it after the fact and I have to like come back with my tail between my legs. I've done all that. And sometimes my ego still is like super loud and, sure. and makes decisions for me that aren't my best showing up, you know, but it's just being honest about that. Like, and tell me, tell me what you're doing now. Like, I mean, you've, you've been on this journey. I mean, you said you you started your business in September. Is Mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. So tell me about what's that journey been like. And you, by the way, you chose a great time to start a business. (laughs) (laughs) I sure did. Well, here's what I'm proving to myself. I'm like, if I can launch my business in that year, have a global pandemic hit and get hit by a truck and still have like May is going to be my best month ever in my business. Great. And I'm super grateful for that. And I have worked my butt off. Like I have worked really hard to establish relationships. So one thing is I, over the course of when I was working for somebody else, I got to meet a lot of really amazing people. Um, and I was intentional in how I showed up in those relationships. And, um, you know, I spent, I had a lot of coffee meetings in January and February with people that are very connected that are saying to me, you know, is that there, if there's ever anything I can do to help, let me know. And when people say that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to actually take you up on that. And so I've had a lot of, you know, wonderful people make introductions for me to people and get me connected to things. And I put myself out there and, you know, have done a lot of uh, free work for associations that are struggling with their members. And they've said, we, we want to just upend our program this month because we know our people need resilience and well-being. And we know that that's what you do. Some of these groups I've spoken to before and they're like, can, we need you this month. And so for me, it's like, all right, how can I serve again? How can I be a contribution? And then, you know, I've been able to just companies I've never worked with before people that I've, some people I've known for years that once I went out on my own, um, they reached out to me and were like, Hey, now that you're a free agent, um, can, can we work with you and do this? And so it's just, you know, I'm doing a lot of, um, virtual training. So around resilience, around how to reset mindset, how to refill your tank, you know, self-care, and how to have healthy social connection in a time of physical distancing. And so a lot of people need help with all those things right now. And um, I'm not being shy about telling people that that's what I do. And I, I do it in a way that, um, that that's like dynamic and energetic and is, is interactive. And so, so people really feel like they're a part of the process and not just, you know, listening to a talking head. <laughs> so, I mean, I can't wait until I can be back on a stage in sure. a room a thousand people giving a keynote, like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be so on fire to do that. 
but I don't know when that's going to happen again. So I basically pivoted and I'm, I'm in the process of uh, building out some online courses that I'm going to put on an online platform. I think what I like about you too is, um, I mean, there's a lot to like about you, but one thing in particular that I love about what you're saying is you, you took a brand that in your mind you envisioned being on stage and you, you said it yourself, I mean, you pivoted it. And I've talked to people, especially in um, corporate training, especially in public speaking, who, when we talk about the pivots and it's, it, you know, pivoting can be such a nebulous and big, like, what does it really mean to pivot your business? But when we talk about pivoting during COVID and going online and doing virtual, I can't tell you how many people have said, oh no, like my secret sauce is being in the room with people. And, and I'm sure that's true for, for many of us. What I love about you is how, even though that is probably true, how it, it sounds like you, without really much hesitation, you were like, okay, this is the next step. This is what needs to happen next. And it seems like if people could be a bit more um, open-minded, I guess, for where their business could go rather than it has to be this certain way, I wonder if many of us would be a lot more successful long-term, especially during circumstances like what we're facing right now. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it, and I have to give credit where credit's due. I had a client that I did a burnout workshop with. So the year I burned out, they brought me in to do a burnout workshop Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in person, a financial services company. And their, um, one of their principals reached out to me uh, the second week of March when everything, where I live in Maryland, everything shut down. All my events were being canceled or postponed for the next like six months. And I was like, which means all my income was going to disappear for the next six months. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what, what do I do? And she reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, uh, we need your help. Um, we need to support our employees, physical and emotional well-being. Do you do virtual training? And like a good old entrepreneur, I said, I sure do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, said, I said, ready, fire, aim. Yep. I sure do virtual training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> and then I built it out. You know, I was like, yeah. I've, been, I've been doing webinars for like over a decade. I know how to be dynamic behind a computer screen. I've been delivering content on resilience and well-being for years. I have expertise in this field. I know how to use the technology to be engaging and interactive. I just have to sit down and map it out and do the work and just start telling people that this is what I do. Yeah. And so, I mean, so I, I really, oh, that was the catalyst for me, that, that outreach of, can you do this? That was my lifeline um, while I was grieving basically the second two weeks of March. And a couple other people, a guy named Dave reached out, Dave Wenkos reached out and was like, hey, we're doing this. A, a, a panel about um, how to be positive in the midst of this. This was very early on in the process. And he had like um, John Harbaugh, like the Ravens, uh, Baltimore Ravens football coach uh, on, on the panel too. So I got to be on a panel with John Harbaugh, which was like super cool. Yeah. Like, just unexpected, you know? So, so for me, I looked at that and I was just like, wow, this is, I had been so consistent for years about posting content on social media. I was in front of people. I did videos. I started doing videos daily in uh, mid-January. My coach, Simon Bailey, was like, daily videos. I was like, but I do them weekly. He goes, Monday through Friday. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so much work. But it was a discipline that I, that I developed and it, and it got me in front of people. And so I'm, I'm, I became front of mind for a lot of people. And so they're like, we need someone on positivity and resilience. And it was like, Rachel. So sometimes we don't know that when we, it's the consistency. So much of, so much of running a business and being a successful entrepreneur is to keep showing up, mm -hmm. you keep showing up, you keep showing up. You don't know who's watching. It doesn't matter. You keep showing up. You don't know right. one's buying. You keep showing up. You just keep doing the work. And so that's what I did. I kept doing the work and then things started to come. 
Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, there's a really great insight here, especially for people listening where, you know, you're talking about May being one of your most profitable months, which, which says a lot for it being uh, COVID season, but I, I don't want to diminish and you're not diminishing it, but I don't, for my listeners, I don't want, cause a lot of times we skip again to that, the end of the story. Oh, now it's successful. Now I want that for my own business, et cetera. But you talked about, you know, 90% of your meetings being coffee meetings and meeting people and building relationships and posting for months or years on end and not really... I mean, I literally just had a conversation with the client a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about social media. And I said, look, 90% of this game is just letting people know that you're not dead, that your yeah. business isn't out of business, that you, you're still there. Because people, they, that, that's what they remember is the person who's, who's been consistent and who's front of mind and who's present. I love how you've done that for your own business. And frankly, you're, you're reaping from the benefits today. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to keep talking. We've, we've totally gone over time. We've run out of time. I have to wrap us up. Uh, you've been an amazing guest, Rachel. Tell the audience what's like the one thing you'd love for them to go do, whether that's to follow you, check out some of your content. What's the best thing for them to do? Um, I would say, uh, so I sang to, if you want to hear me sing, I sang Ain't No Mountain High Enough um, in my video today. So I periodically do that. So I'd say just follow me if you want more of this kind of conversation. You know, I, I do little probably two, one, two, three minute videos on a daily basis on LinkedIn. And I'd love to, you know, hear from you to interact. I'd love to meet people and connect with people if this has been impactful for you, you know, and um, to, to just to just do that and to, to show up and to, to let me know what you're going through, send me a message. You know, I, I would love to, to just kind of hear how this has affected you and, and let's, let's connect over there and put faces with names, I'd say. <laughs> Great. Rachel, you've been an amazing guest. Thanks for joining today. Thanks, Blake. For the listeners, I will put Rachel's LinkedIn bio in the episode description. If you've listened to any of these episodes, you know how much I love LinkedIn. So definitely get on there and give her a follow. Hey, if you've never checked out the podcast before, if this is your first episode, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button. Make sure you're continuing to follow the great advice we're bringing to you literally every way, every week. And if you enjoyed this episode, definitely give us a five-star review. Hey, thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. We'll see you.